0: Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, let me invite you and encourage you to open with me to John uh, chapter 10. The text for today's sermon is also printed in your bulletin or on page 896 of those blue Bibles that are in front of you. I want you to know uh, that I got made fun of last week after the sermon. It's hard being a pastor. Um, I, I got, you know, you work really hard Uh, You hope you do things well, and you try and present the word as best you can, and then you get made fun of, and it's true, it's true, I got accused of smiling a lot during uh, either the sermon or the service, I can't remember, it could have been uh, both. And it's it's hard as a pastor because you know if you try and be serious and you frown a lot, you get accused of not smiling enough. And if you smile a lot, apparently you uh, get in trouble for doing that as well. Now it it was all in uh, in fun, but the reason for the smile is frankly simple. And and it's as we work our way through this gospel, we're just swimming in the joy in the good news that is Jesus Christ, and it just keeps, at, at least for me and I hope for you, it just keeps getting better and better. You kind of get this sense as you're in the midst of it that you've reached the peak. You, you, it can't be, I'm sorry, I'm just mixed metaphors between swimming and climbing mountains, but anyway, um, uh, I'll get made fun of for that too. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, you, you think, wow, it, it can't be any better than Jesus declaring uh, I'm the bread of life or Jesus declaring I'm the light of the world. And yet somehow it does. Uh, Another sign is given to us of a blind man being able to see, another sermon by Jesus is given to us, or another I am statement is given to us in this gospel, and in the passage uh, today that we've got before us, we get a double dose, two of the I am statements that are here, and it is just Glorious! It is glory upon glory, grace upon grace, and you just revel in it as we work our way through this great and wonderful gospel. This word of God. It is. It's neither Judges uh, nor even First Samuel. Um, it's John, and when we look at it, we see our Savior, full of grace and truth, and that makes me shake my head in wonder that a wretch like me should be able to read this Word, hear this Word, and know this Savior. And it makes me smile. So that's what I got made fun of. May we all be made fun of for such as is the same. Here, the precious Word of God, beginning at verse 1 of John chapter 10, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. a demon, open the eyes of the blind. Lord, open our eyes. Open them afresh to see the Good Shepherd, to hear the voice of the one who loves us, the voice of the one who calls us by name. And oh God, grant us the grace to respond well to that voice, to go and follow because we know the voice of our Good Shepherd. Be with us even now, we ask in his name. Amen. For two millennia now, I am the Good Shepherd is an image, is a metaphor that has captured the hearts of Christian writers and poets and artists and hymn writers. Some of the earliest Christian symbolism that we have in the history of the church derives from the passage that is before us today and from the other passages that we find in the synoptic gospels in which Jesus is the one who seeks out the lost sheep. And, and you know of which I speak, the image is of a shepherd with either a lamb in his arms or a sheep across his shoulders. We're captivated, I hope we're captivated anyway, by the words of this passage. We're captivated by the way Jesus describes it so vividly for us that we can feel it. And and as I said even earlier, perhaps even more so than when he makes statements saying, I'm the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the door. When we hear I am the good shepherd, that seems to, at least to me, resonate at a place in our soul that fills us with joy and it fills us with comfort of one who cares us and knows us and loves us so deeply. And of course, the reality is I suspect that none of us have ever been shepherds. If you have been a shepherd, let me know afterwards. I'd be interested to know from your perspective about this. But none of us have probably ever done anything like this, and yet there it is, the image for us. We can draw it up in our minds and enjoy it. I guess when we think of shepherds, rightly, uh, from Scripture and just what we might imagine, we think of gentleness and we think of tenderness. Uh, a pastoral scene on a green and verdant hill, and we say yay and amen to that, right? I mean, that's some of the great pictures that we have in the Bible of, of shepherds and shepherding uh, and the sheep being well tended, well cared for. But if we can add to that image just a little bit what many have noted, and, and that is this namely, that shepherds aren't soft. Shepherds are rugged. Shepherds are weathered. Shepherds are toughened by the life they live and by the circumstances in which they live it and by the work that they have. It's not an easy work. I suppose it's an easy work when you get to the particular place and all's well, and you can just kind of sit back, but it's not an easy work. Shepherds are tough, and as Leon Morris writes He writes, the shepherd was an autocrat over his own flock. Now, we might not naturally think that, but if you think for just a moment, you can see the truthfulness in a statement like that. And and that's probably why this image of being a shepherd is used so often, not only in Scripture, but in ancient literature to describe what a king is to his people. Uh, He's a shepherd over them. He has absolute authority, unquestioned authority over the sheep of his pasture. I titled the sermon today, Who Needs a Shepherd? So who needs a shepherd? Some people will hear this, and I suspect they will think, you know what, thanks, I don't need a shepherd. I'm fine as I am. They are like the people in the last chapter who say, listen, I see fine. I'm not blind. I don't need someone to guide me, someone to provide for me. Thank you very much. I'm okay. But then there are other people, people who recognize that they are, without the good shepherd, blind, that we're not able to see on our own or to quote countless of the Psalms, who Who Needs a Shepherd? Well, people who see themselves as poor and needy, helpless, people who find themselves in a dangerous situation, people who find themselves sick with diseases that won't go away and seemingly can't be cured. People who are facing death and difficulty, people who are lost, people who are friendless, people who are lonely, people who feel isolated, people who are displaced, those people recognize it. Recognize we need a shepherd. And so with that, let's consider this passage. As it opens up, Jesus provides us with a story, with a a metaphor to help us understand who he is. And the imagery that he has is apparently of several Uh, flocks of sheep who have been gathered, for example, in the evening into one particular pen or one particular sheep fold that is mostly enclosed except for one particular door, and therefore one gatekeeper can be stationed at that door while the shepherds presumably rest, uh, and then the sheep are taken care of within this fold. When The shepherd comes back to take out his sheep once again. He calls them with his voice, and the sheep who know his voice, know the voice of their shepherd, come out from the fold, and they follow him. So he explains that, and of course, everybody can understand the story itself. The story makes sense and would have been far more familiar to them than it is to us. We have to imagine it more than they would have but no one understands actually what he's talking about, how it applies to anything, how this connects to anything about himself. And so Jesus then explains what the story means. And, and don't look at this story as an allegory, as if there's a one-to-one correspondence between everything in this story and what Jesus is going to say. It's providing for us a context. This is the context in which I'm now going to explain to you who I am and what I do. But keep the image in mind. There are, of course, there are three basic points that are before us today. One is I am the door. Two is I am the good shepherd. And three are the divisions that result between shepherds and sheep because that is the reality. Because he's the door. Because he's the good shepherd. Then we have to consider the distinctions and the divisions, which we'll do at the end. So let's begin where we ought to begin. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Jesus is making the claim here that he and he alone mediates entrance into his flock, his pasture, his fold. The the idea, in language that is also familiar to us, the idea here is very similar to what we'll get to uh, in a couple of months or maybe even next year, but the idea when we come to John 14, where Jesus says, I am the way, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is saying here, I am the door, and no one comes into the flock except through me. There's a flock of God, and I'm the only way, to get into that flock. What I'd like to do for a moment, though, is look closely at verse 9, in which this is expounded a little bit further. Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Let's stop there for just a moment. He will be saved. Saved from what? And we we don't have a statement here attached to this, saved from what? But given everything that has come before this, we can kind of supply what Jesus is talking about. Most immediately, saved from blindness, saved from darkness, saved from judgment, saved from dying in sin, if we take it back just a few chapters, saved from guilt, saved from death, saved from being lost. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. What do you mean by going through the door? I mean you will be saved. And let's look at the next phrase in verse 9. And we'll go in and out. We'll go in and out. That's kind of uh, an enigmatic expression, but don't get too concerned. He's not talking about leaving the flock or coming back and forth in and out of the flock. Rather, as various writers have pointed out, This is an idiom of the day, and it basically means that they're going to live all of their lives before me, that all of the things they do, all of their comings and goings will be as a part of my flock once you've gone through the door and entered into the kingdom. You're part of my flock, and you'll go in and out. And then the last phrase in verse 9, they will go in and out and find pasture. We've noted this in the past couple of of chapters, but Jesus here is saying that when I talk about saving you, and when I talk about shepherding you, I'm not just talking about what I'm getting you out of, delivering you from something, saving you from something, but I'm saving you unto something. I'm bringing you in somewhere, not just out of something. I'm bringing you in somewhere, and the Place where he's bringing his sheep is into pasture. And of course, as we read uh, along in this, we recognize instantly it's not a pasture wherein, you know, there's just enough grass to grow around. There's just a few little tufts of grass here and there, and if you nudge out the other sheep, you'll be able to get hold of the grass in that particular place. It's not like that at all. It is Psalm 23-like. It is Ezekiel 34-like. We sang Psalm 23 uh, earlier in the service. We read Ezekiel 34. It is full of abundance provided by the Lord. Verse 10, a, a, a phrase that so many of us love, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. That's the intention of the good shepherd. The good shepherd isn't sparing He's not cheap. He doesn't keep things in reserve just so his sheep kind of stay in line. Instead, the, the good shepherd is full of largesse, and his pastures are verdant, and they're full of everything that will, and this, is a, this would be a dangerous thing to say, except it's what Jesus is trying to communicate, everything that will satisfy us completely. No dissatisfaction. No part of our being, body, soul, relationally, nothing, is left unsatisfied when the Good Shepherd takes us in and feeds us from that particular passage. Uh, Now, just so that we we don't skip over this, I want to go up to verse 8 as well and look at this. Uh, It's a little enigmatic, this this phrase in verse 8. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Now, I think we have to understand that there are probably a couple of ways you can do it, but I think we have to understand Jesus here referring to those like unto the ones who were in the last chapter, who weren't leading people properly, people who are either false teachers or people who are false prophets, or make false claims to be a Messiah even, and Jesus is saying, anybody who says that, anybody who detracts from who I am, they are an unfaithful shepherd. But the sheep, because they are his sheep, they don't listen to the voice of those unfaithful shepherds. But what the whole thing, what the, what the imagery of the door, what that statement in verse 8 and the statement in verse 9 communicate and emphasize are the exclusivity. There isn't another way, there isn't another door, this is not a hallway with many doors that will take you into the same pasture. There is, in fact, one door. And anybody who proposes to us a way of life, a key to life, a secret to life, a life hack that doesn't include Jesus as the door, is in reality out for destruction, is a thief or a robber. Faithful shepherds p- proclaim that that one, the good shepherd, is the door by which we enter. Jesus is the door, which takes us to the next thing that he says, I am the good shepherd. Verse 11 starts it off, I And the good shepherd, Leon Morris, writes of this declaration, it makes an instant appeal to the depths of our being. When Jesus says that to us, when the shepherd of souls says that to us, we rejoice in it, and it breathes for us comfort and security and protection. And there are probably a million things that we could say about the work of a shepherd and what it means to be the good shepherd. You know, we could look at Psalm 23, we could look at Ezekiel 34, and we could articulate various things that it means. But let's look at this particular passage and see what what is Jesus saying when he communicates, I am the good shepherd. What's the message he's trying to get across? There are really four points of emphasis that he gives in for our understanding of what it means when he says, I'm a good shepherd. I'm not going to do them in the order in which they are presented. But in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Jesus being the good shepherd means that we are known, that we are known particularly, that we are known intimately and that we are allowed, perhaps this is more amazing, to know him. Now, of course, earlier in the, the analogy, the story that he gives at the beginning, he says, that the shepherd comes in and calls the sheep by name. Apparently, there were various calls that you could use, whistles and sounds that you could use, by which the sheep would recognize that it's time for me to come out, and that's the voice of the one I know. It's hard to even imagine that. Maybe. Maybe we get a little bit of a sense of it with our pets. The pets know the sound of our voice. They know their name when we call their name. Maybe we get a little glimpse of it that way. But he knows us. He knows us intimately, and he knows us personally. And we hear that voice and recognize that voice. Jesus has come down to earth so that not only might he know us, but so that we might know him, be in relationship with him. And and if you back up the question, and and Jesus does this with each of these points, if you back it up and say, great, what's the source of that? Where does that come from? What kind of knowledge is that, and why is it so spectacular? The reality is, is that this mutual relationship of knowing and of being known is not being established because somehow Jesus was lonely throughout all eternity and he just needed you to keep him company. It's not as if he's an only son just going, ah, if I only had some brothers and sisters, life would be better. Instead, he gives us the reason instead of that, it is in fact an overflow of the knowledge that the father has of the son the eternal father and the eternal son has of the father that's the kind of knowing that Jesus images here and puts as the foundation for this when he says I know my own and my own know me he follows it with verse 15 just as the father knows me and I know the father that's no mere surfacey acquaintance how the Father knows the Son and the Son knows the Father. But that's what Jesus is offering as the Good Shepherd, that kind of intimate knowledge of one another. He knows us as the Good Shepherd. Secondly, the Good Shepherd cares. Now, the contrast, and we don't have to work through all of it, the contrast is present throughout in the section that I read between those who are, the three categories are used, thieves, robbers, or hirelings, a hired hand to watch over the sheep at a particular time, and the one who is, in fact, the good shepherd. In verse 13, we get the payoff of this. When, when trouble comes, when danger comes, the one who is the hireling, he flees because he is a hired hand, and he cares nothing for the sheep. The good shepherd cares. Jesus, the good shepherd, cares about his sheep. It makes me think, I probably reference this movie too often, Uh, it makes me think of an old movie, The Fugitive. And if you know the movie, The Fugitive, at the end, uh, when Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones are in a car together, there's a line that's worked its way throughout the movie, and, and Harrison Ford turns to Tommy Lee Jones and says, I thought you didn't care. And Tommy Lee Jones respi- replies with, I don't, and laughs and then says, don't tell anybody. Don't tell any-. And the message is clear. Yes, I'm, I'm saying I don't care. I'm giving you a tough guy image, but I care. Listen, tell everybody. Tell everybody Jesus cares. I don't have anybody who cares for me. There is someone who cares. Jesus cares. And let's ask the same question. Okay, what's the root of that? What's What's the cause of that care that exists? Why would you care about these sheep? And the answer is plain from the text, right? He cares about us because we're His. Twice owned, created, By him, in him, and through him, redeemed by him. Twice bought sheep that belong to him. He cares because we belong to him, and we belong to him, and here we'd have to dip into the later part of the chapter that we'll get into next week. We belong to him because the Father has given us to him. My Father, who gave them to me, us, the sheep that goes back once again to the Father and the Son. He knows and he cares as the good shepherd. Three, as the good shepherd, he gathers. He collects his sheep together, pulls them from the fold, brings them together, and additionally, we read that in verse 16, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. and They will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, One shepherd. And the best way to understand what he's talking about there is that there were Jews who were there in Jerusalem, but there were also scattered Jews all throughout the area and Gentiles. Jews and Gentiles. He says, I'm going to go because I've got other sheep that are not right here in front of me right now, and I've got to go gather them up as well. And that is why you are here gathered. Because the good shepherd is doing exactly what he said he would do in Ezekiel 34. He said, I will. I will go out and seek them. And here we are in fulfillment of that which he has promised. The church is the colony of those who are called out to be together. That's who we are. That's who we are being right now as the Lord has called us and gathered us together. And the foundation of this gathering, of this uniting... Well, it's in the next section. I don't want to say it because I don't want to steal any thunder from uh, next week's sermon. I'll just I'll use this section. The foundation for this, this work of gathering is verse, uh, verse 18. This is the charge I have received from my Father... Why does he go about the gathering work? Because the Father told him to gather. The Father told him to. I do it in obedience to my Father. So the good shepherd, he knows, he cares, he gathers, and of course the thing that's most prominent, fourth, Jesus as the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep in the face of danger, in the face of destruction, when, when the wolves come, if we think about the life of David, when the lions come, when the bears come, faithless shepherds fold. They run away. They run away, they leave the sheep, or, or they offer the sheep. <laughs> take the sheep. Don't take me. Take the sheep instead of me. Jesus is different. And I don't want to make this, I don't want to go in too many places with this, because Jesus is the good shepherd, and Jesus is the Lamb of God. Right? That's where we started, John. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, said John the Baptist. He's the good shepherd, and he's the Lamb of God. And so, instead of running, instead of offering up another sheep, for the sake of the wolf, he offers up himself. He gives himself as the sacrifice. That's how we are gathered. That's how the purchase is made. That's how the care is most ultimately expressed and how our knowing him is secured. He died for his own. Consider this. Consider this. Shepherds don't intend to die. Normal shepherds, in the course of just doing your work. Your intention is not to die for sheep, if you're a, a, even if you're one of the good ones, right? That's not what you're planning to do. It's not their purpose, and, and it wouldn't take place, except in some extreme situation. Uh, you, you wouldn't die in care of sheep. But Jesus makes it clear that his love as the good shepherd, his work as the good shepherd, is different than that. A, his shepherding requires it. It's not ancillary. His good shepherding requires him to lay down his life for the sheep. Nothing less will do in order to gather them. It's the only way we can be gathered. People like us, sheep gone astray... To bring in Isaiah 53, our wanderings, our straying as sheep will crush him. That's exactly what will crush him. It's the only way to gather us is to die. That is the charge he received from his father. How will you, how will you gather them? I will lay down my life for them. Lay down your life for them. That is the charge received from his father. B, Jesus wants us to know it's not an accident. It's not an unforeseen development. We, looking back on the crucifixion, perhaps can understand this, but if we can imagine ourselves in the moment, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ looks like the end. It looks like things just went really badly in this whole plan that the Redeemer had. And this passage speaks clearly to that and says, no, all of this that is going to take place, the laying down of my life is being done under my authority. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. No one's doing it to him, outside of his control, outside of his authority, because things went badly. As a good shepherd... He has complete authority to lay down his life for the sheep and see his death is not the end. His death is inseparably tied to his resurrection. He says, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. He never viewed the crucifixion as the end. I lay down my life with the intention that I will take it up once again. Well, what's the foundation of that? What's the foundation of a good shepherd who wants to lay down his life for the sheep? What lies behind the sacrifice is love. The love of the Father for his Son. Verse 17, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life for the sheep. It's obviously not as if God the Father didn't love His eternal Son before that. But this is an expression of love that makes the world go, wow. What wonder. What, what manner of love is this? What kind of love is it? It's the love, what we're seeing in Him laying down His life is the love that a father has for his son. Son for his father as well, but that comes later in the book. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. And these realities, these declarations by Jesus, they distinguish between people. They differentiate. They divide people. They divide shepherds and they divide sheep by virtue of how we hear those words. How do we respond to those words that this man is speaking, we see examples of it in verses 19 through 21. Right? Some listened to it and said, He's a nut job, he's got a demon. Told you, nobody speaks like this except for nutcases. Others said, oh, Wait a minute, wait a minute, he healed a blind man, and demon possessed people don't do that, nutcases don't do that. If we went on a little bit from the chapter that, or from the section that we'll look at next week, Jesus says, But you, talking of some of them, do not believe me because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. There are sheep that are his and sheep that are not. Do you hear the shepherd? the good shepherd, calling your name. He he doesn't just generally call. Not an all y'all. Not an Ali Ali income free. He doesn't just generally call. He knows your name, and he calls you. And that's what's happening right now. He calls you, your name in particular, I asked at the beginning, who needs a shepherd? Maybe there's another way to ask that. Who is your shepherd? Who will be your shepherd? Perhaps some in pride say they don't need a shepherd, but regardless of that, regardless of what protestations we may offer, we will have a shepherd. Look at the front of your bulletin again Psalm 49. Man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beasts that perish like sheep. They are appointed for Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd. We will have a shepherd. Deny it now if you'd like. You will have a shepherd. And the rod and the staff of the shepherd of death will bring you No comfort. No comfort in that rod and that staff. That is the shepherd who we will have, or Isaiah 40, 10 and 11. Behold, the Lord comes with might. His arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. The Good Shepherd, the Good Shepherd would give you life, and he would give you abundant life. Hear his voice, believe in his name, and he will bring you into his flock. Now, if you're here today as a member of the flock, by the grace of God, already upon your life, then hear the call here, hear the reminder here to reflect upon, to remember the Good Shepherd when you're feeling lost, when you're in the time of death, when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, when the sickness overwhelms, when the loneliness overwhelms, then remember the Good Shepherd. Jesus knows you. Jesus cares for you. Jesus has gathered you. And Jesus has laid down his life and taken it up again for you. By name, for you, he has done it. He will lift you up, He will, as you prefer to think of it, carry you in his arms or throw you across his shoulders. And he will take you safely home and you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God grant us the grace to believe it. Lord, we are easily distracted, easily overwhelmed, easily blinded by the things of this world, may this voice that calls our name penetrate the darkness, the fog, the circumstances, the emotions. Speak to us and grant us grace to hear and to follow and to know your voice. Thank you for your love, your care, your knowledge, your protection. Thank you for laying down your life and taking it up again for us. And we pray in your name. Amen.